Hey guys, my name is Drew. I'm excited to be having the chance to teach from God's Word and hang out with you guys tonight. I have been doing college ministry in some form or another for the past 15 years of my life. And I would say one of the greatest joys that I've experienced in life is to see college students have aha moments. And what I mean by that is when you come into college and maybe you have a little bit of Christian background, you got no Christian background at all, and you begin to hear from God's word, begin to understand what it's all about, and then you say, aha, I get it. This is what Christianity is all about. And the light bulb begins to go on for you. And I hope that as we've been walking through the book of Romans at Salt Company, that you've had multiple aha moments along the way, and that you've more deeply understood who you are and who God is and what God has for you in the future. But I actually wanted to call up Jordan and Kaylee and just do this simple illustration that shows kind of where we've been so far in the book of Romans, because we're actually going to close out the book of Romans tonight with chapters 15 and 16, okay? So we kind of hashed this out beforehand and agreed that if one of these two was going to play God, it would have to be Kaylee, right? <laughs> and if somebody was going to play like messed up humanity, it would be Jordan, all right? And so what we found at the beginning of the book of Romans is that humanity and God were created in right relationship with each other. God created humanity to be in relationship with him. And you remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in right relationship with God. And so that's going to be represented in this illustration with Jordan and Kaylee facing each other, right? So God and humanity were in right relationship with each other and everything was great. So they were smiling and life was good and, and everything was great. And it was as God designed it to be. But then... In Genesis chapter 3, which is also recorded in Romans chapter 1, humanity chose to rebel against God's good design for them. And we have followed in Adam and Eve's footsteps and chose to rebel against God. And that's represented by us turning our back on God. And so we are born into this situation where we have chosen to be in rebellion against God. Notice that God's posture towards us hasn't changed at all. We have created this barrier between us and God through our sin. But God has made a way for us to be in right relationship with him. Where there was no way, he has made a way. And the way is not through our effort or through us earning his approval or his favor, but instead he sent his son, Jesus, to do what we could not do for ourselves. And what he asks us to do is to trust that Jesus' finished work is enough to restore our relationship with God. And many of you have trusted that Jesus' work is enough and your relationship with God has been restored. And through Jesus, based on this faith, we can now repent. 
which means simply to turn around. We can turn around. It's really that simple. And when we turn around, we find ourselves back in this relationship with God that he created us to be in. But then the question becomes, okay, I've repented. I've trusted in Jesus. I've turned my life around. Now what? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're actually going to talk about four different ways that God wants to bless your life if you have trusted in Jesus. Give it up for my lovely assistants here. Thanks so much, guys. So we're in Romans chapter 15 and Romans chapter 16, which are both super long chapters, and so there's no way we're going to be able to cover it all. But what we are going to be able to cover is the four blessings or benedictions found in Romans chapters 15 and 16. And what we're going to see in the text is God actually, now that we're in this right relationship with him through Jesus, we're going to hear God bless our lives. He's going to bless us in four specific ways. We're going to see that God encourages us, God gives us hope, God brings us peace, and God strengthens us. So first off, God encourages us. Romans 15 verses 4 through 7 say this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So have you ever thought of God as an encourager before? You know that each week that you come here and each time that you open up the scriptures, God, who created the stars, wants to give you courage. He wants to speak into your life. He wants to push you out and to help you do things that you would have never in your wildest dreams done on your own initiative. He wants to give you a little push. And the way that this scripture says that he wants to encourage you is two different ways. He wants to encourage you through endurance. In other ways, in other words, one of the ways that God encourages us in our faith is he puts us in difficult circumstances and in those difficult circumstances, we cry out to him for help. So the difficult circumstance, whatever you're walking through in your life right now, was placed in your life by God because he loves you and he wants to encourage you not to stay as you are, but to become more like him. The number one purpose that God has for your life is that you would learn to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and learn to love your neighbor as yourself. And none of us naturally want to do that. So he's got to put us in hard circumstances that we just have to get 
through and that we can only get through with his encouragement and strength. The second way that God wants to encourage your life is by getting you into the scriptures. You notice what that text said? It says, whatever was written in the past was written for this purpose, that through the scriptures, you might have encouragement and hope. The entire Bible was written as an encouragement letter to you. God wrote this to encourage you in your faith. Even the hard parts of the Bible, even Leviticus and Numbers and all those books that you want to skip over in your Bible reading plan, it's all there to encourage you in your faith. In other words, if you're feeling a lack of encouragement in your faith, the first sort of fuel gauge that you want to check in your life is if you have been in the Bible. Here's my encouragement to you. Don't go to the Bible to give anything to God. Go to the Bible to receive encouragement from God. Okay, so here's the question. What's the reason, the purpose for God's encouragement? Why does he want to encourage us? Scripture gives kind of a surprising answer here. It says he wants to encourage us so that we would be welcoming to one another. In other words, he encourages us to fill up our tank so that we can be unified with each other. So you want to really feel encouraged in a day. Here's God's kind of crazy sounding prescription for you. Spend time in the Word, and then when you get around other people, instead of trying to take from them, give your life away to them. Welcome them. Care for them. Pour into them. Have you ever noticed this? The most encouraged people, the most happy, fulfilled people, are actually the most encouraging people. It's not the people that are looking for everyone else to compliment them and encourage them that are the happiest. It's actually the people that are spending their time pouring out into others that leave most encouraged. Do you know why that is? Because all of us have a God-shaped hole in our heart. We don't need encouragement from each other to fill that hole. What we need is encouragement from God to fill that hole. You want to experience God's encouragement, spend time in the scriptures, and welcome the people that are around you that are different from you. Okay? That's one way that in this new relationship with God, you can receive his blessing. The second way is to receive hope from God. Because God is a God who gives us hope. Romans 15, 15 simply says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So this is confusing on a first reading. Okay, here was my question when I read this. Why doesn't the God of hope just give us hope? You notice that? It says, the God of hope will give you joy and peace so that you would abound in hope. 
And my question was, why didn't he just straight give me hope? Why did he got to go to the joy and peace first instead of just going straight to the hope? What is going on here? And here's the answer to the question, I think. I think that what God is telling us in the scripture is that present contentment is not the result of good circumstances. Okay? The reason that he says that if you want to be filled with hope, you need to be content in your present circumstances is because present circumstances don't fulfill you. Interesting, isn't it? So the reason that we're typically not content in our circumstances is because we're actually looking to our circumstances to provide us with joy and peace. And when you look at your circumstances to provide you with joy and peace, you end up getting let down over and over and over again. And so the way that you live a life that's filled with hope is that you actually begin to take delight, not directly in your present circumstances, but in God who has designed your present circumstances so that you would know, love, worship, and obey him. So actually what you come to realize is your present circumstances don't have to be that great for you to be happy because of the hope that's laid up for you in the future. Okay, so here's the question. How do I get access to this kind of life? The first thing you need to do is you need to do a self-diagnosis of your contentment. And you need to ask yourself hard questions. Like, why am I discontent? What in my life am I trying to get to make me happy that never can make me happy? What relationship or what specific set of circumstances Am I sort of idealizing and trying to make that fill me up? So you need to diagnose yourself. You need to come face to face with what you're trying to find your joy in. And then you need to tell yourself that will never make you happy. That can't hold the weight of my heart. And then you need to turn your gaze off of your circumstances and the people in your life that you're trying to make you happy, and you need to turn it on to God. And you start to believe that this isn't home, that home is in heaven. We're just passing through this place, and you need to trust a specific promise of God. So here's a specific promise of God that's been really helpful for me to get my mind out of this world and onto heaven. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says this. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen is eternal. Why do our circumstances let us down? Why do people let us down? Because they're transient. They're here for a little while and they pass away. They're like shadows. You can't even grab onto them. They're not real in comparison to what's coming. And when you understand that this world is not even real 
in comparison to what's coming. And this world could be described as one giant affliction, one giant painful experience that is just preparing you for heaven, you begin to find contentment in your present circumstances because you understand that they're not meant to fulfill you. And in understanding that they're not meant to fulfill you, you begin to be fulfilled. You begin to understand the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven. Here's an example of what this looks like in micro, okay? So I dropped my son Gabe off, this little daycare that happens during my other two daughters' preschool this week on Tuesday. Dropped Gabe off. Right before I dropped him off, I said, Gabe, after this, we're going to Wendy's. And he got pumped up because that's a big deal. Because he knows when he goes to Wendy's, I'm going to buy a medium frosty. I'm going to split it four ways between him, his two sisters, and me. And that's huge, you know, when you're two. And so he got pumped up. Well, normally when he gets dropped off at this little daycare, he gets straight pissed, right? He goes crazy. And this time, I just told him that. I start to leave. So cute. He just goes, I love you, Daddy. I love you. I'm like, I love you too, man. I love you too, right? So then I went to preschool with my daughters because Tuesday is like bring your dad or mom day to preschool. So I went and played, played with Play-Doh with them, hung out with them and all that. And then went back to pick Gabe up. And this is like the last thing you want to hear as a dad. But I got there, forgot to bring the diaper bag. Dude's got a big turd in his pants, right? And so... He pooped his pants. So, so it's like his circumstances are horrible. Like he hates this situation, right? Like he's got poop in his pants. He's in daycare. This is bad. But because he's got this hope, like Wendy's is coming, I show up and he's like, Daddy! You know, runs out. And then I brought him into the van. And this is, this is where it gets gnarly, right? I got to change a poopy diaper in the van. So I like lay him on the front seat, change the poopy diaper. Normally he's like kicking and screaming when he gets his diaper changed. He's fine. Normally he hates getting put in his car seat. It's okay because Wendy's is coming. We're going to Wendy's. He's going to get the frosty. It's okay. And likewise, God wants us to see that he is the God of hope. We can have joy and peace in believing, even though our circumstances are terrible. And the reason we can have joy in our current circumstances is because this is not our home. We're on our way home. And heaven is the place where we'll see God face to face and where everything will be made new again. And so earth can just be earth when heaven is waiting for us. So God encourages us. God gives us hope. But we're not done there. God also brings us peace. Very simply, in verse 33 of chapter 15, it says, May the God of peace be with you all. That's interesting. In context, right before this, the Apostle Paul has been sort of bouncing around from prison to prison and from beating to beating. He's been persecuted for his faith. 
And he asks the Christians at Rome to engage in spiritual warfare by praying for him. He says, guys, I want you to step off the sidelines and I want you to get into the game. I want you to pray for me. And then he says, may the God of peace be with you all. This is very paradoxical. If you want to have peace, you have to go to war. If you want your heart to be at rest, do not try to find restful circumstances. Give your life to the cause of Christ. Do risky, crazy, adventurous things for Jesus. The most miserable Christians out there are half-hearted Christians. You want to be at peace? You go all in. Give your life fully to Jesus. Because peace is not a place. Peace is a person. You want to have peace? You live your life in the presence of God because his presence is the safest place that you can possibly be. Let me give you one example of being on the front lines of what God has called us as human beings to do. Some of you know that my oldest two kids are adopted from the Democratic Republic of Congo. If you want to be on the front lines of God's mission to the world, adopt kids from the poorest country in the world. My wife and I were in the adoption pro process for three years. Then I went to the Democratic Republic of Congo. I was supposed to be there for a week or two, and I ended up there for 40 days. There was a government shutdown of adoptions. At one point, the lawyer that was supposed to be in charge of our case wrote that I was a pedophile on my file so I could not bring the kids home. All hell broke loose while I was over there. And yet, I was at peace. I was at more peace when I was in the Dem Democratic Republic of Congo, picking up my kids to bring them home, than I ever was on Christmas break as a college student. You know how you feel when you're on Christmas break? Go home, you watch like eight hours of Netflix a day and eat so many cookies and you get so tired of Christmas music and eggnog and you even get tired of laughing and watching the movie Elf. And you're just like, I am done with this. And you actually begin to look forward to getting back to real life. And we have the same experience when we're on vacation. These breaks and these vacations, they promise us peace, but they leave us restless. When we pursue our own desires, we end up empty. But when we pursue what God desires for us, even though it's incredibly hard, he gives us peace. You want peace? Go to war. And the last way God wants to bless your life as you're in relationship with him, as he wants to strengthen you. Because God is a God who strengthens us. 
Romans 16, 25 through 27 says this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So who doesn't want strength? Everyone at different times feels weary, feels tired, feels like they don't even have enough strength to get through the day. We feel like it's hard to just put one foot in front of the other, particularly when the weather's like this and when it's the end of a school year, right? Just like, man, I just want it to be over. How do we get strength from God when we feel weary? There's a common misconception that the way that you get strength is you act strong. And if any of you have tried that, you know that there is nothing more exhausting than to try to act like you're a good little Christian girl or little Christian boy. To try to put on a face and act like you have everything together when your whole world's falling apart. What Paul says here is the exact opposite of that. He says the way that we're strengthened is through the gospel. The way God gives us strength is through the gospel message. And the banner that God waves in the gospel is that sinners are welcome. God is not recruiting the strong. God is recruiting the weak. What qualifies you to be a Christian is your sin. And that's at the beginning of your walk with Jesus, at the middle and at the end. You have to be a sinner to be a Christian. And to receive God's strength, you have to be weak. And so the beautiful thing is that we can come before God on a daily basis and we can admit that we blew it again, that we don't have it together, that we're weak and that we're broken. And what we find each time that we do that is that we have a friend in Jesus because Jesus' body was broken for us. He was made weak so that we could be made strong. He was punished so that we could go free. And so you know the answer before you even come to God with the question, will you accept me, God? I've sinned again. The answer is always a resounding yes. That's why I sent my son. And so when we bring our weakness, God supplies us with his strength. For what purpose? Why did Jesus come? Why does God supply us with his strength? It is so that we would be freed up to obey him by faith. In other words, that we would learn 
to walk with him step by step in a relationship of obedience. It's by admitting that we have disobeyed and asking God to fill us with his strength that we learn to obey. Isn't that beautiful? You don't have to get it together. You don't have to do it on your own. God wants to do it through you. God wants to do it in you. I listened to a story this week by a famous pastor named Rick Warren. And he was telling a story that in his first year of ministry, when he started his church called Saddleback Church, he was doing it all on his own strength. He was trying really, really, really hard. And in fact, he tried so hard that the last week, the last sermon that he gave of the year, he literally was partway through the sermon and he passed out in front of the entire congregation. He's passed out on the stage. How embarrassing is that? And so, let his congregation know he's out of gas. And so in the first year of their ministry, there's no one else who could preach. There's no one else who could teach. They just shut down the services and he left Southern California and he went to Arizona and he just spent an entire month in the desert with Jesus. He came out of the desert with Jesus and Jesus said to him, you don't deserve my grace, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And that's what I want to encourage you guys with. That's the whole point. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve any of his blessings, his encouragement. We don't deserve this hope. We don't deserve this peace. We don't deserve this strength. And God wants to give it to us anyway. Isn't that a beautiful message? It's not try harder. It's trust in him. And he's going to continue to do in and through you what he has already been doing in and through you. He's just asking you to trust him one step at a time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are not a God who comes to take from us, but you're a God who comes to give to us. Thank you that the ultimate example of that is that you gave your son to die for us, to trade places with us so that we could be free. And now we're asking, God, that you would teach us to walk in your ways, that you would teach us to be people who are filled with courage, filled with hope, who are at peace, and who are strengthened by the gospel message and ask that you would flip this campus upside down as a result, that you would change the world through us, not because we're strong, but because you're strong and would we be willing to admit over and over again that we're weak and we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.